Merry Christmas. Glad you guys are with us for our core Christmas celebration. If you have a Bible, let's open them up. We're going to go to the book of Matthew. Uh, while you're looking that up, I want to mention something uh, real briefly here while you're looking that up. Uh, just before service, somebody uh, pulled me aside and said, hey, there's a family in need, and uh, they're in desperate need. It is a, a mom, and she's alone, and she's got two small children. Um, somebody's been able to take care of Christmas gifts for them and their family, but they um, have no food. And I just don't think that should be happening on our watch. And so if you would be willing to help that family, no family should go without food at Christmas time. Would you just grab a Next Step card, write on there, say, I'd be willing to help that family. Put your name and your phone number on there. After the service, you can drop that off in the Next Steps room. We'll get in contact with you, and we'll let you help out that family because that's what we're about, and that's what I'm going to be actually talking about a little bit today. Uh, if you're brand new, if you're a guest, I'm glad you're here. And I just want you to relax because you're surrounded by a bunch of imperfect people. Uh, none of us are perfect. It's a level playing field at the cross, and we are all here just trying to learn a little bit more about who Jesus is and the plan he has for our lives. So let's go to Matthew. And by the way, if you don't have a Bible, we have them. They're free. After the service, come up here to the front. Uh, our prayer team will be here, and they would love to put a Bible in your hands. Uh, we'd love to get that to you. If you have a mobile device, you can go to corechurch.com right now and download a Bible app if you don't have one. But Matthew, uh, we've been in Matthew chapter 25 for the last couple of weeks. And in Matthew chapter 25, this guy Matthew, he was a follower of Jesus, one of his disciples, and he wrote an account of Jesus' life and what he did. And this is one of those stories. And We've been talking about this idea of the kingdom of heaven. You know, why, why did Jesus come? I think we all have an idea of what Christmas is all about and, 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 and the season of what it is, but I think we've got to go a little bit deeper and, and understand really why Jesus came. And he came to establish the kingdom of heaven. And so we've been talking about this idea of the kingdom of heaven. And so let's go to Matthew chapter 25 and verse 31. We're in the last stage of this story where Jesus is talking and Jesus is talking about the end of time, and he says this, but when the Son of Man comes in his glory, this is verse 31, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and that's him, he's talking about himself, and all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in his presence, and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Now, you and I don't understand the context of that. It makes no sense to us because we're not shepherds. But in their day, they understood that. The sheep and the goats, they would uh, graze together at the end of the day. They would separate them. And so when he talked about that, the people instantly knew what he was talking about. He said he's going to place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Now, uh, turn to the person next to you and say, I want to be a sheep and not a goat. Here's why. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. Who doesn't want to hear that? Amen? Everybody wants to hear that. For I was hungry, you fed me. I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, you invited me into your home. I was naked, you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. And then the righteous ones are going to say this, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry? When did we feed you? When did, when, thirsty? Something to drink? Stranger? Show you hospitality? You're naked? Give you clothing? What? When did we see you sick and in prison and visit you? And then the king is going to say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you, you're actually doing it to me. And the king is going to turn to those on the left. This is the goats. 
He's going to say, away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. For I was hungry, you didn't feed me. I was thirsty, you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger, you didn't invite me into your home. I was was naked, you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison, you you didn't come see me. And then they're going to say, Lord, will we ever see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not help you? And he's going to say, I tell you the truth. When you refuse to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go away into eternal life. In week one of this series, I talked about a kingdom of grace. And then last week, I talked about a kingdom of generosity. And today, I want to talk to you about a kingdom of good works. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for the season and this time and, and the gift of your word. And church, I want to ask you, if you would, in this moment, just to um, pray for one another. We all need to hear a word from the Lord today. And pray for me as your pastor that I'm going to be faithful to the text, faithful to what God wants us to hear. And then just pray for your own heart, your own soul, your mind, and your spirit that you would just be able to focus for a few minutes and, and we'd all be able to hear from God today. In Jesus' name, and the church said, amen. amen. Well, the moment this came out, you're all wondering, what is this doing up here on stage? Uh, my background, most of you know, is in the radio industry. That was my life forever, and I love old radios. I love collecting old radios. And a few years ago, my, my son, Herc, uh, his real name is Shane, but I call him Herc, and uh, he came home uh, from an estate sale, and he said, Dad, you are not going to believe what I scored for about 40 bucks. You come help me unload it. So I went out into the car, and, and there, there it was, this right here. A 1967 Zenith console. Yeah. And I was like, you're a good son, buddy. I love you. And he said, oh, no, Dad, it's not for you. This is mine. That's just wrong right there. That is just wrong. Because he knows I collect them. He knows I'm into that. He knows that's my thing. But he said, no, this is mine. Now, the thing about it, though, is it didn't work. It was broken. And so... I helped him haul it up to his bedroom, and it sat in his room for a couple of years just broken, just gathering dust, basically a glorified end table. And then, and then he got old enough to move out and uh, praise Jesus for that. Hallelujah. That day is coming for you, parents. That day is coming. <laughs> Christmas is coming. And, uh, and he, he moved out, and he left this behind. Now, here's the rule. If you're, if you're a parent and you have young children, you've not had yet children graduate high school. And if you're a teenager, you need to listen. This is important. There's a six-month rule. You leave something for six months, it reverts back to the original owner and the people who hold estate at that house. So after six months, boom, it became mine. Glory, hallelujah. God is good. He gives and he takes away. Man, so, uh, so it wasn't working, and I just wanted to get it fixed uh, because it's got, a, it's, got a, it's got a record player in it. And so I, I asked my family for my birthday if they would maybe fix it. And so they found, we found this guy, his name's Marvin, and he's an older gentleman, and he, he's usually out at the fairgrounds, and he sells these old radios, and he fixes them. And so we called him, and we asked him if he could come, and he came, and he, and he fixed it for me. And this thing, I'm telling you, is sweet. You want to you hear it? Okay. All right. Figured you did. Now, I brought some, some good records. I brought some good, 
good records. Now, now some of y'all, some people have been like, oh, what's going to be the first record you're going to play on that thing? Are you going to play Van Halen? You're going to play your Def Leppard records? You're going to play Adele? Well, it's all great music. I like all that music, but not on this. I would not taint this with that. No, I'm playing nothing but good, solid, nostalgic music. The good stuff like Dean Martin. Anybody in the house? Dean Martin. I mean, I mean some of y'all need to get educated. Go home, listen to some Dean Martin. This is my, one of my favorite. Tony Bennett. Oh, it sounds so good on it. Now, here's a really good one here, too. Here's a, Ray Charles. Oh, yeah. All right, so I'm going to pick one. I need your help uh, picking one. Um, uh, so you, by the sound of how... how so... <laughs> So I'm, I'm, I'm guessing we don't even have to vote, do we? It's like, you want to hear some Ray Charles? Yeah. Um, put, put on some Ray, Ray Charles for you. Let's see if this is good stuff here, people. All right, here, hang on here. Oh, yeah. Get ready. Oh, that's good. Oh, wait, hang on, hang on, hang on. It's got to, I got to complete this. I got to complete this. Hang on here. Mm, we're going to be nostalgic. We got we to gotta be nostalgic. Hang on here. Mm. Yeah. Now, you got to have a special chair, too, when you, when you do this. Oh, well, hang on, hang on, here. Is that not amazing or what? Man, that sounds so good. Ah. Oh. I mean, just sometimes when work is done, I turn the lights down in my office and... And people walk in like, what are you doing? I'm like, shh. Mm. I just love listening to that. Because, because this thing was not, was not created to gather dust and be an end table. No, this thing was created and designed to play sweet music like that. And, and when, it's, when it's doing this, it's at its sweetest. It's at its best. And, and the thing is, is, is you and I, you and I are created the same way. You and I, created by God, by design, for a purpose. The problem is, most people don't know their purpose. They, they don't know what they were designed to do. You were designed, so to speak, to Make music, to play sweet music. God created you that way, but unfortunately, most people are just gathering dust. Getting up in the morning, going to work, coming home, eating some dinner, sitting down watching three and a half hours of TV, going to bed, rinse and repeat. You weren't created to gather dust. Turn to the person next to you and say, you weren't 
created to gather dust. No, no, you weren't created. Listen, here, here's the thing. If, you, if you're taking notes, I'd like for you to write this down, okay? You, you, were, you were created from dust, but you weren't created to gather dust. I'd like for you to write that down. You were created by God from dust, but you were not created to gather dust. So the question we would ask, I think, is, well, then what's my purpose? Like, why am I here? Why, why, why did God create me? What's the point? Am I really just supposed to be getting up and going to work or going to school and then coming home and doing a couple different activities and slaving for the man and trying to get ahead? Is that, re- is that really what existence on this planet is all about? Well, Jesus tells us, in Matthew 25, that it's not, when he talks about his return. Let's, let's read this together, Matthew 25 and verse 34. Then the king, he's talking about himself here. Then the king, Jesus, is going to say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. And, and let's, let's read the, the next part together. For I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me into your home. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me. So what what Jesus is basically saying here is that my kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, is a kingdom of good works. I'd like for you to write that down. God's kingdom is a kingdom of good works. There's a misperception about the gospel. Now, if you're, if you're new to Core Church and this is your first Sunday with us, you came on, on a good week because I'm, I'm going to explain to you, there's this misperception of what it means to follow Jesus and what the gospel is. Most people think it's a, it's a be good gospel. Well, I just got to be a good boy and a good girl. That's what being a Christian is. Being a follower of Jesus is just about the do's and the don'ts, and I got to be good, and I got to do this, and I got to do that. No, no, that's not it at all. Here here you go. Write this down. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. I I wasn't created just to be good. Turn to the person next to you and say, I wasn't created just to be good. I was created to do good. I was created to do good. See, most of us stop halfway through that. Well, I just think it's just about being good. No, 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 no. That's, that's, that's only half the gospel. The other half of that gospel is the gospel of good works. You're created not just to be good, but to do good. So when I say that, a lot of confusion can come in. So is, is Jesus, hang on a second here, is Jesus saying here that we are saved by doing good works? Is that, is that what he's saying? No. It's not what he's saying. In fact, if you read earlier in the chapter, if you were here a couple of weeks ago, and if you weren't, I encourage you to go listen to the podcast about it. I talked about this kingdom of grace, and I, I talked about the good scale versus the God scale. And If you were here, you might remember that, and how we try to earn our way to heaven. We try to earn our salvation through good works, and how that just isn't going to fly. It doesn't work that way, because even on your best day, even if you're a nine, even if you're Billy Graham, you still fall short, because God's measuring stick is not a nine. It's a what? If you were here, it was a what? It's a ten. In other words, God's measuring stick is holiness. He demands holiness, perfection. 
None of us measure up to that. None of us can do that. No matter how hard you work or how hard you try, you're always going to fall short. So we talked about the kingdom of grace, that Jesus stepped into the picture. He was born, but he wasn't born for the cradle. He was born for the cross because he went to the cross, and his death provided a way for you to receive grace and mercy and forgiveness for your sin. The kingdom of grace. But some people... Some people like to use grace as kind of a, an escape clause for doing good. I, I see this happen with, with, with some people who are, are, call themselves Christians as they, they throw out this verse right here, Ephesians 2.9. Oh, hey, I'm not saved by grace. I'm saved by grace, not by works. That's their big thing. Well, I'm, it's all about grace. It's not about works. And then they leave out, though, James 2.14, which says faith without works is is what? Is dead. So let me just, let me kind of sum up good works for you so you can understand the theology of good works, okay? Because I think this would be very, very helpful for us. I want you to think of good works like you would baptism. Okay, baptism, we, we love to baptize people, but baptism doesn't save you. It doesn't save you at all. Baptism is simply an outward expression of an inward commitment. Jesus commands us to be baptized, so if you've made a commitment to follow Jesus and you don't get baptized, you're, you're out, you're living in disobedience to God. That's just the truth of it. Whether you, you know, you may say, well, I, you know, I was baptized when I was an infant. No, no, you need to be baptized as an adult, but we know that. We know it's a command of Christ, and if I don't get baptized, I'm in disobedience. The same thing is true about good works. When it comes to good works, it won't save you, but it is an outward expression of your inward commitment. It's an outward expression of your inward commitment. So the question we have to ask ourselves is this, if I'm not doing good works, have I really experienced God's grace? That's only something you can answer for yourself. That's only something deep down inside that I can answer for myself. If If I'm not doing good works, have I really experienced God's grace? Like when this, when this record player was repaired, it didn't start making espresso. It played music because that's what it was intended and it was designed for. So I'd like for you to write this down. This will help you to understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus. This is how to follow Jesus in one sentence, okay? We are saved by Jesus to become like Jesus and do what Jesus did. That, in a nutshell, is what it means to live the life as a follower of Jesus. We were saved by Jesus to become like Jesus and do what Jesus did. So what did Jesus do? Acts 10.38 says this, Jesus went about doing good. So it says, Jesus went about doing good. That's who he was. That's what he was all about. In fact, Jesus didn't ask us to do anything he didn't do. He says, you know, hey, I was hungry. Did you feed me? And Jesus did that. If you, if you look at the stories in the New Testament, you see there's two different times that there were crowds of thousands and there was not enough to feed them. And Jesus said, I'm going to take care of them. And he did the miracle of the feeding of the 4,000 and the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. Talk about being a stranger. I was a stranger and you invited me in. Isn't that who Jesus was? 
Matthew, who wrote this account, Matthew knows that firsthand. Matthew was a tax collector. Jesus called him out of the crowd, and then he said, hey, I want to get together with you and all of your friends, all of your friends that don't know me. And so they gathered with all these sinners, all these these people that were tax collectors and prostitutes and and outcasts and the low life and the people that nobody wanted to associate with. And Jesus went and he ate dinner with them because that's the kind of man that he was, naked and you clothed me. Jesus went right into a graveyard where no one else would go, where this crazy man lived. He was naked. He had taken chains and broken them. Nobody would go near him because he was so dangerous. Jesus went right into the graveyard, spoke to him, cast out the demons in his life. And when the townspeople showed up, he was fully clothed. That's who Jesus was. You were sick and you cared for me? That's the Jesus of the New Testament. That we, we know of 31 miracles that Jesus performed, 31 people that Jesus healed, 31 times. And John says there's so many more that there's not enough books to hold the number of miracles that he did. So we, we hear these stories, though, and I think sometimes there's a, there's a disconnect. We hear them and we're like, man, Jesus was the man. Like, man, he was awesome. He's so cool. I'll be like Jesus. Like it's like it's a philosophy or or maybe just some good habits you could pick up or you know you could listen and just it feels good and I might try that out a little bit. But but the thing we see is that Jesus Jesus is he is not Gandhi, he is not Buddha, he's not Martin Luther King Jr., he's not Mother Teresa or Billy Graham, he is God. God with us. That's what our Advent reading was today. God with us. And here's the thing. It's it's the love of Jesus in us that compels us and changes us. When, When you have the love of Jesus in you, it will change you into his image, and it will compel you to go out and to do good. That that's the story of the of the righteous. That word righteous means to be made right with God. In verse 37 through 39, we won't go through that whole verse, but what they say, they said, when when do we see you hungry? And when do we we see you in prison? When do we see you naked? On and on and on and on. And they they didn't even recognize it. This is what I love about this group of people here is they they just did it. They did good instinctively. They didn't even know they were doing good, really. They just kind of did it instinctively. Have you ever been around people that just do things instinctively? Like, you stink at it, and they do it instinctively. Like, you're like, how, do you, how did you do that? And you have no idea. Like, you, like, people who have the gift of interior design. Like, you walk into their house, and it's like, bling. It looks like something out of Pottery Barn. Like, dang, that's amazing. You, you go over, and you're like, that's the most, that's the coolest chair I've ever seen in my life. Like, this one, man, that's the coolest chair I've ever seen in my life. And they're like, oh, yeah, I got that for $8 at a garage sale. And it looks amazing. And if you took that same chair and put it in your house, what would it look like? An $8 chair from a garage sale. Because they do it in instinctively. They just, it's just in them. It's just who they are and, and what they're all about. This is the thing. The more that you surrender to Jesus, the more instinctive doing good becomes. So if doing good is not instinctive to you, in other words, if, if, you, if you have to think about it, if you have to be prompted to do it, 
you, you've got to back up a step and you've got to say, I think I need to give myself a little bit more to Jesus. Because the more Jesus you get in you, the more instinctive doing good becomes. I, I think of just the people that call core church home. I love our serving mentality that we have here. I love Sundays like this because I'm preaching to the choir. Like I'm trying to find people that aren't doing good. Because all of you, that's what you do. That's what we do instinctively. That's what our church is known for in the community is doing good. I mentioned that there's a, a mom in need. I know that we're going to probably have 10 or 12 people that are going to fill out a card and turn it in, and we're going to be able to take care of her exponentially. I don't have to worry about that. I know that's going to happen because that's who we are. I mean, I just think of all the different ways in which we do that. Talk about core kids. Man, it's just amazing. Do you see all those kids last week here on stage? Did you see all those kids? Was that not incredible? This is awesome. All these kids we have on stage is amazing. Listen, caring for those kids just doesn't happen by itself. There have to be people that are willing to serve, willing to make a difference. And right now, there are people that are back in the children's ministry wing giving their time and their energies and their strength. I, 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 there's one couple back there right now. They serve every Wednesday night with our teenagers. Every Wednesday night. They've done it for over a decade. I walked back there today. They're not even a part of the kids' ministry. But they needed some help today, and they're like, sure, absolutely, and they're back there serving. Because it's just in them that way. And those of you that serve in kids' ministry or those of you who have served in kids' ministry, you know that. It's just, it's just who you are. You, just, you just, just do it. Nobody had to ask you to do it. You just love kids. You're like, do good. That's just what I, that's just how I, I roll. That's what, it, what it's all about. It's just who we are. I mean, I remember a few months ago, we had all those parents up here and the families of, of the foster families, and, the, and uh, it was an adoption, it was Adoption Sunday, uh, World Adoption Day, and, and we had all of the adoptive people on stage, those who had fostered or adopted, and the stage was full of people. Do you remember that day? That was an incredible day. Like, look what our church does. This is amazing. You, those of you, you foster kids, you don't even think about it. Nobody had to tell you to do that. Nobody had to have you sign up for that. Nobody had to tell you to adopt that child. You did it. Why? Because it's just in you. It's just who you are. Like, this week, I see that uh, Tom and Sarah Raddatz, wave at everybody, Tom and Sarah, just Katie, this week, adopted, right? Finalized adoption this week. Nobody, we had to tell them to love that child. Nobody had to tell them to take that child in. I, I was talking to my neighbor who lives behind me, and he volunteers at Abba Center, and he goes into the prisons every Friday night. Every Friday night, he's, he's in the prisons, and he was telling me that he was ministering to this guy who's in there on murder charges. And I'm like, whoa. I'm just like, wow. And he's like, and then the other day he was telling me he was getting ready to go back into the prison every, every Friday night. And nobody had to tell him to do that. Nobody had to ask. I mean, he got asked to do that, but nobody had to beg him to do that. Like, it's just in you. It's just it's who you are. Nobody, nobody had to stand up. And, you know, one of the things we say, and we say this every single week, is that we are created to serve the church and serve the city. And so we talk about getting onto a serving team, and we talk about serving at Abba Center. But, but so many people, they, these are the kind of people I'm telling you, they don't need a card. No, they don't, they don't ever fill out a next step card because they're just doing it. And, and, and they look at that and they're like, you have to ask people? Like people like, you have to like beg people? You like have to like twist their arm or, or, or tell some cute story just to get, I, they don't get it because they have so surrendered their lives to Jesus, they do it intuitively. That's who God created you to be. That's who he created me to be. To be. And, and if we're not careful, if we're not careful, we can become a fan of good works. 
Like Bedlam was um, just a few, a few weeks ago and, if you, and, and with OU and, and OSU. And it's just funny after the game to, to listen to the OU and the OSU fans because the OU fans are like, oh, yeah, we totally kicked your tail. Man, we played awesome. We're going to win the national championship. Did you see how we played last night? And then the OSU fans are like, man, we played awful. What is wrong with us? We stink. Can I tell you something? We didn't do anything. We didn't play in the game. We didn't snap the ball. We didn't touch the ball. We weren't on the field. We are just fans, okay? You know what we did? We sat at home in our PJ pants, on the couch, eating Doritos. That's what we did. Because we are fans. And if we're not careful, that attitude can creep into the church. And we can become fans of serving. Oh, we have such an amazing children's ministry. We are doing such good work with children. You know, we have the most amazing foster program at our church. We just talk about it and we get involved in rescuing children. That's what we do. You know what we do? We have Abba Center, and we go out and we help those people in that food desert. We do it. We're amazing. We, we're, we're incredible. We go, we, we go into the prisons. That's what we do, and we, we minister. We, 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 you didn't do anything! What I love about our church is it's, it's not what's said about our community. That's not said about us. That's not who we are. I love that because you know what people, you can say and I can say, we are making a difference in kids' lives. This church, you should be proud of yourselves. We are going into the prisons. We are helping people who are incarcerated. We are helping people get off of their addictions and their hurts and, and their habits. We are fostering. We are adopting. We are making a difference. Listen, you may not be able to do everything, but you can do something. And if you have skin in the game, you're a part of we. Okay? You're a part of we. So my challenge to you is if you don't have skin in the game, you got to get skin in the game, and you got to stop saying we. If you've got skin in the game, you should be saying that all day long. This is what we do. But if you don't, you got to be cautious. you got to be careful. Kyle Eidelman wrote a book called Not a Fan, and, and this is what he said in his book, and it's a real ouch moment. He says, the biggest threat to the church today is fans who call themselves Christians but aren't actually interested in following Christ. They want to be close enough to Jesus to get all the benefits, but not so close that it actually requires anything of them. Verse 41 through 43, the ones on the left, they were fans. They did nothing. They did nothing to help the least, the last, and the lost. I'd like for you to write this down. Jesus isn't looking for casual fans. He's looking for committed followers. Jesus isn't looking for casual fans. He's looking for committed followers. The reason he came, you are a casual follower. Here's what causes us to be a casual follower when you leave him in the cradle. When you just look at Jesus at Christmas time, 
and he's so beautiful, and he's so cute, and the hope of the world, and, and when, when, that, when you leave Jesus there, you can just be a, a casual follower. But when you take him from the cradle to the cross, and you understand what he did for you, and I understand what he did for me, I understand my sin, my shame, my guilt, no way to get, overcome that, and he went to the cross for me and made a way for me, I go from becoming, being casual to being committed. That's, that's what happens to us. And, and unlike football, in God's kingdom, this is important, in God's kingdom, sitting in the stands is not an option. Again, this is what I love about the people of Court Church. You already know this. It's like preaching to the choir. I love this Sunday, getting lots of amens because y'all are doing it. You get it. You know that. You're like, well, of course that makes sense. God's kingdom isn't about just sitting in the stands and being a fan. It's about getting into the, getting into the game. And he takes it very, very seriously. Look at in, in verse 41. You don't have to go there, but in verse 41, he, he turns to the fans. He turns to those who did nothing. He says, away with you. Away with you into eternal fire. Prepared for the devil and his demons. Wasn't made for you, wasn't made for me. It was made for the, for the devil. And he says, that, 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 that's where you're going to go. Now, is that eternal fire? Is it literal or is it figurative language? Theologians and scholars have debated that for centuries. I'm not going to debate that on this stage except to tell you this, that what Jesus is saying here is away with you, away from me. He's saying away from me, which means that you are going to be eternally separated from him. He calls us goats if we're like that. Goats. Like, you ever been to a petting zoo and seen a goat? They're intense. Like, the sheep are just like, and you just feed them and that. You ever, man, goats will knock down babies. If you have any food, you got to be careful. You ever had, if you've been in a petting zoo, parents, you've been there, you're like protecting your children from the goats, are you not? Like, you're taking the food and you're like, don't take a finger off my kid. Because the goats, they'll do anything. They'll knock babies down, they'll knock people down, they'll knock other goats out of the way. They don't care about anybody but themselves because they got to get that, whatever that is. And they don't care about anybody or anything. So that's what Jesus is trying to say here. Don't be a goat. Third person next to you say, don't be a goat. So Jesus, man, says, away, away from me. I don't, get away. I, I don't want you with me. Why is he so angry? Doesn't that seem, doesn't seem harsh at all to anybody? It seems a little harsh to me. Come on, Jesus, ease up. Let me ask you this. Have you, um, have you ever seen an injustice being done in this world and it made you angry? Like you just, just, it, just everything within you, you were just so angry at that person who'd done that injustice and you're angry at the people for not doing anything, just idly just walking by and ignoring those needs and it just, the anger rose up in you. That's called a righteous anger. That's the anger of the Lord that rises up in us because why? Because God is all about the least. That's where his heart is. His heart is with the widow. His heart is with the orphan. His heart is with this mom with two small children that doesn't have food for Christmas. That's where his heart is at. He's for the marginalized. He's for those who are overlooked. That's where his heart is at. And when he, when he sees those needs go unmet, it makes him angry, and it should, because he's a God of justice. 
And it would just be a jacked up God if it didn't make him mad. I don't want to follow a God like that. I want a God who's passionate about those things. I want a God who doesn't overlook injustice. I want a God who calls people to do something and make a difference. That's the God I want to follow. And when I see that he takes it seriously, I'm like, then I'm going to take it seriously. This is why he was born in a barn. This is why he was born to a poor peasant girl. To illustrate to you and to me how important that is. I mean, he's basically saying here that serving the least of these is the most significant thing you can do in my kingdom. No good deed goes unnoticed by him because when you do good, you're doing it not for him, you're doing it to him. Wow. Man, that's good news right there. And when you do it to Jesus, suddenly it has purpose and it has meaning. Suddenly life has purpose and it has meaning. So the question is, where, where do we start? How, how do we start? When, when you came in today, in your program, you probably got one of these, and if you didn't, grab in the chair back, in the chair in front of you, there should be cards like this. I want you to, everybody grab this card. So I want to challenge you, if you don't have one, raise your hand, and we're going to get you one, because here's what I want us to do. You got to start somewhere. You got to start somewhere. So I want to talk about this. We're going to do a 30-day do-good challenge. Could you do some good to those around you? I think sometimes we look at some of these things and we're like, man, going to the prisons, I don't know, man, that's tough. I, I don't know if I can do that right now. Here's what I want to do. I'm going to, our challenge to you, my challenge to you for the next 30 days is to do one good deed a day. And what you're going to do is you're going to seek to do good. At the end of your day, you're going to write down one of the things that you did. Now flip it over on the back because we have some ideas for you. We're going to start small. We're going to start small. I love some of these. like, one of them is so simple. Just talk to somebody you don't know. I think that'd be fun just to randomly walk up to somebody. Hey. Now don't walk up and be like, hi. That'll just creep people out. Okay, don't do that. Let someone merge. Oh, now I am preaching up in here. Let somebody merge. Send someone an encouraging email or text. I think, you know what I think would be funny on that is just to randomly make up a 918 number. Just encourage somebody. Just out, out, just, I don't know you. Who is this? It doesn't matter. Just be encouraged today. I think this one's a little creepy. Say hi to everyone you make eye contact with. Hi. You might want to take your gaze off. You might want to be like, hey. Uh, here's one of my favorites. I think this is every uh, parent with a teenager. This is your favorite. Do something you're always asked to do without being asked. In parentheses for you. We're talking to you. Boom. That's just mean. That's just mean. Next 30 days, do good. That's my challenge to you. Now I want you to take it one step further because I believe that God has a purpose and he has something he wants to use you for. Some of you it is in kids ministry. Some of you it's with teenagers. Some of you it's with inmates and prisoners. You don't even know it yet. Some of you, it's with fostering. You need to foster or you need to adopt. There's a million different ways. I'm not going to name them all. There's so many different ways you can. 
We have something to help you. It's called a cause assessment, C-A-U-S-E, cause. Discovering your, what your compassion is. What are you passionate about? What are my abilities? What's my personality and makeup? What's my spiritual gifts? How can God use my life experiences, both the bad and the good, for his good in someone else's life? If you go to our website, corechurch.com, and click on next steps, you're going to find the cause assessment. Listen, this is not something that you can do in 10 minutes, but I want to encourage you, 2016 is coming. As you begin in January, I want you to—I want to challenge you to do that. In the month of January, say, you know what? I'm going to start this year off right. I'm going to discover why God created me, why he made me, why I exist. And to help you out too, we're going to be emailing that to you today. If you get our weekly email, you're going to get a link to the cause assessment. Check that out. Yeah, I've done it. Our staff has done it. It's, it's, it's life-changing. It's absolutely life-changing. You're going to love it. My challenge, though, is just simply to go about and do good. But you can't do that on your own. It's only when God changes you. It's only when the love of Jesus gets inside of you that he begins to change you and compels you to do good. You've got to be changed by him. You know, when um, we got this fixed and Marvin showed up and to fix this old radio, uh, he showed up and he, he took it and he brought it back and he and he turned it on and it kind of worked but didn't work quite well enough and he was frustrated so he so he took the whole turntable out took it back to his shop said let me work on it some more and and he brought it back and he turned it on again and 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 the arm the, the the arm didn't quite move right for him he wanted it to move a certain way it didn't do what it needed to do I was like good enough Marvin he's like no 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 no. No, this thing is created to work a certain way. I'm going to fix it. And he blew all the dust out of it. And then he came back the third time and he installed it. He put it in. And, and I put on some um, Dean Martin for him. And he just sat there. He just smiled. It was just so much fun to watch him smile. And, and my wife, Laura, and I were in the office. And we just kind of all just stopped talking. He just kind of sat back and... And I was having fun watching Marvin because he was, he was just grinning at what he had done. That's such a picture of God. Such a great picture of your Heavenly Father. He goes to work on you. And, and he, he, he's not content with you just being okay. He wants your life to be great. He wants your life to have purpose. He wants your life to have meaning. He wants you to be doing exactly what you were designed to do. So he's going to keep tweaking you, keep working on you, keep blowing the dust off. And when you do good, oh man, I think God just sits back and smiles. When he sees you do good, he's just like, oh, that's sweet music. That's what I created my child to do. That's that's what it's all about. Oh, you're doing exactly what I created you to do. And oh, you're warming my heart. That's who our God is. Bow your heads. Father, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for your spirit that is with us today. If you're a follower of Jesus, I want to speak to you for just a moment. 
maybe you're like, wow, it's not intuitive to me, Brad. It's not instinctive to me, and I want it to be that. And I want to tell you, your, your next step is to surrender your life fully to the Holy Spirit. In this moment right now, to fully commit and surrender to the Holy Spirit. And I want to invite you, if you're making that decision today, I want you to grab a next step card right now. I want you to grab it. I want you to write your name on it. And I want you to check that box at the bottom that says, I'm surrendering my life to the Holy Spirit. If you need an area that you need us to be praying about, you let us know about that. You put that prayer request on there because we're going to pray for you every day for the next 30 days. God, would you fall upon your people? Give them hope today. Let them know that your spirit can help them. You can help them for it to become intuitive and instinctive them to do good. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I want to encourage you today to make that decision to follow him. I talked about the kingdom of grace. Works are not going to save you. That may be brand new news to you. You just thought, you came in here today thinking, well, I'm a good person. I went to church and I thought that was going to get me into heaven. No, it doesn't. It's by the grace of Jesus Christ. And maybe today is your decision. I need to follow Jesus. In fact, if that's who God is and that's who the people of God are, I'm in. I want that. It starts making a commitment to follow him, I want to encourage you, take that next step card in front of you. Write your name on it. Check the box that says, I'm making a commitment to follow Jesus. And make this your prayer. God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I've messed up. I know I have sinned against you. And I'm tired of trying to just be good enough. I believe in your son. I believe he is the son of God. And I believe he died on that cross and he was risen again on the third day and I accept him today I don't understand everything about following him but today I I need my sins forgiven and I'm choosing to follow you today Lord in Jesus name Amen